Buenos dias. You know, last service, this table was like this tall. And I was like, man, tall table for the short guy. Hey, they lowered it. Isn't that cool? Oh, man, it is so good to be with you. Um, man, I tore my Achilles tendon playing basketball a couple months ago. And uh, so to be in front of you with like two shoes on and like being able to move my foot just feels like a miracle. And so I'm just grateful to be here. Um, and if you don't know me and I don't know you, my name is Misael Gonzalez, and I spend most of my time in Tulsa at the Mission Church, and so it's just awesome to be here with you. And like I said, just feels like a miracle. And so, I don't know, it feels like a miracle that we just woke up today. I don't know, anybody wake up today? <laughs> okay, we're going to get some laughs today. I like that. I like that. How about this? How many of you, when you woke up and you got ready, you looked in the mirror today? Anybody? All right, let me see. Okay, if you're not raising your hand, I just need to let you know that we can tell. Okay, <laughs> we, can, we can tell. I, can t- I see you. I see you. I can, I can see it. I can see it. Uh, on a serious note, though, like in all seriousness, in all seriousness, okay, in all seriousness, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? In all seriousness. When you look at the deepest part of your heart, what do you see? Whenever you, you know, process and, and try to look and, and uh, just evaluate the thoughts in your mind, what do you see? You know, those are some really hard questions because... Those are really personal, and it's really, really vulnerable spot in our life. And I would just be curious how many of you and how many of us would feel comfortable, and I'm just trying to be real, would feel comfortable sharing these thoughts and these emotions and these feelings and what we see with other people. Like, I wonder how many of you would be comfortable sharing with, like, three people around in your area and your seat. Not that you're going to do it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Because those are just such vulnerable parts in our life. And, and as humans, I think we have a tendency to have just a really unhealthy perspective of ourselves. I think some of us are like, you know what? I'm like nearly good. You know what? I'm not, I know I'm not maybe perfect, but man, I'm a really good person. Like I don't do a lot of things wrong. And I think some of us have this unhealthy perspective as well of like every time we see ourselves in the mirror or evaluate who we are, we are just looking with very judgmental eyes. We are kind of looking at ourselves through the lens of someone else, someone else who maybe we're trying to do something in order to gain their respect. And maybe we're looking at ourselves through the eyes of someone that we're really trying to uh, maybe meet their expectations. Or maybe we're looking at ourselves through someone that's like, you know what, I want to gain their approval, so, so I want to see myself the way that they see me, so maybe I can earn that and gain that from them. I think we do that a lot. I think we have that perspective a lot. And whenever we think about what we think and what we feel, I think that as humans, we are really good, and maybe this is just me, maybe it's not you, but we are really good at just bottling things up and pushing things down super deep into the depths of our heart. Like we are really good at just like smashing it down, and I can't stomp with this foot, but just stomp it down like super hard and say, you know what? If I just smush it down enough, I won't be able to face it. If, if I just, you know, dig it down deep enough, I'm not going to have to talk about it or evaluate it or even bring it to the light. And then I think some of us, maybe it's not a heart thing, it's a mind thing. We let our mind wonder and we let our mind fantasize because maybe we're not satisfied with what's right in front of us. We're not satisfied with what we see. We're not satisfied with what we're doing. 
And so when we look at this and as we look at the passage we're going to be in, honestly, we need help. We need help. We need help changing the perspective that we have. We need help that the Lord would help us just change how we see ourselves. And honestly, the only way that can happen is by understanding God's perspective. That's the only way it's going to happen. And so the title of the message today, and I want to give it to you, especially if you're writing notes, and I hope you are. But the message and the title for today is God's Perspective of You. God's Perspective of You. And the only way, like I said, we're going to understand that is by seeing God's eternal and divine perspective. Because as we continue in this series together, I really hope that's what happens. I really hope that as we look at God's word, it changes the perspective of our hearts and of our minds and our understanding. And we go, okay, I think I get it now. Or okay, I think I know where I need to change. And so I want you to go with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And as you turn there, I just want to give you a tiny bit of context. And, and again, maybe this is your first time opening up a Bible and it's weird. I, I just hope you know, like, Psalm is kind of in the middle of your Bible. And you can look at the big number, 139. But when you look at Psalm 139, it's this very beautiful Psalm of David that really is a, an expression of how God is so intimate with us. And he wants an intimate relationship with us and how he knows us so well. It's this expression in this beautiful way that we can see how God loves us. But it's also this amazing psalm that helps us understand the attributes of God, too. Helps us see who he is and the nature of who he is. And so we're going to read this really famous psalm, this really well-known psalm together. And we're going to read it in pieces. But before I read it and give you these, you know, four points that pastors give you sometimes, let me just give you this focus as we read Psalm 139 together. Because as we read it, I want you to focus on this. God did not mess up. God did not mess up. The reason I say that is because there's a lot of beautiful things in here, but when you think about your life, and again, this might just be me, isn't it super easy just to blame God on things? It's super easy to say, man, it's God's fault because I'm here. It's God's fault because I'm in this situation. It's God's fault. I'm blaming him. But ultimately, we're going to see that God has never messed up, he hasn't messed up, and he never will mess up either. He is perfect, he's divine, and we're going to see his eternal and perfect attributes as we read this together. So if you're with me, we're going to start in verse 1 and go all the way to verse 6. So it says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So as we read these six verses, uh, we're going to see the first attribute of God. And I want to give it to you here as like the first point. So the first attribute that we see here is the omniscience of God. The omniscience of God. That's the first point and the first attribute that we see in these verses. And this word omniscient really is this fancy, you know, theological word that summarizes and describes that God is all-knowing. That God knows everything. 
And as we read this, you see that David is saying, God, you have searched me. You know me. You know everywhere I go. You even know the words before they even get on my tongue. And so he's describing God as all-knowing. And what David is saying is that there has never been a time that God didn't know. God always knows. He knows all things visible, all things invisible. He knows everything that's going on. He knows everything on like this wide angle. So God has like this wide angle of our life and perspective. But also, he has this very narrow angle too and this very narrow lens where not only does he see this wide angle, but he sees every detail of his creation. Every single detail. And we see that God is so intentional And as we read it, I hope you noticed that God is very, 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 very thorough. He's very thorough. And I can just imagine David as he was writing this, he he was like, you know, I just feel exposed. I just feel exposed before the Lord. And it reminded me of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, that says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and exposed before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so think about that. We are just exposed before the Lord. And and honestly, that's a really beautiful thing, but it's a really scary thing. It's a really scary thing that since you woke up today, God has known every thought that you've had, every motive that you've had. We are just exposed to him. And when you think about it, nothing is unknown to God. Everything is known to him. Nothing is beyond his observation. Nothing is beyond what he can see, and he knows it all. Like I said earlier, he knows every motive that you have and have had and will have. He knows every action, every emotion, every word, every thought, and God knows you completely. He doesn't just know of you. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than anyone else. And right here, it clearly shows that, that's, that nothing is hidden from God. Nothing is hidden from his sight. In familia, we're not talking about Santa, okay? We're talking about the everlasting, almighty, all-knowing Lord and God. Not some fictitious figure out there, spoiler alert but the God of the universe who knows every single thing about us. And because God knows everything, check this out, because God knows everything and he's all-knowing, he is the perfect one to judge all. And because God is is all-knowing and he knows everything, he also has the ability to love everyone as well. So I want you to think about this. Is it possible to love someone that you don't know? Is it possible to love someone who you have no idea actually exists in the world? Eh, The answer is probably not. But I want you to think about God. God can love everyone in the world because he knows them. And he doesn't just know them kind of like, oh, I just know of them or I saw them. No, like he knows, 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 knows them. He knows every aspect and every detail of their life. And what's so amazing is that God showed his ultimate love through Jesus. 
that even though God knew that we were children of wrath, even though God knew that really all we wanted to do was just disobey him and be unfaithful to him, he said, you know what, I know you so I can love you, and so I'm going to send Jesus. And so Jesus being fully God and fully man, he goes, I'm going to die on the cross for you, and it's going to be this beautiful exchange where I say, hey, give me your sin and I'll give you my grace. And he could do that, and he could die on the cross to save us because he knew every single one of us. And they're dying. He's like, man, I want you to surrender your life to me. I want you to follow me. He's like, because I know you. I demonstrated my love in this way because I know you. And I died for you, and I I saved you, and I want you to put your faith and trust in me. And so even though really God's perspective of us was, like Ephesians 2 says, hey, I know you're children of wrath. And even though God's perspective of us was, yeah, like Colossians 1 says, you were in the dominion of darkness. And I had to rescue you from that. And I had to rescue you and bring you into the kingdom of light and make a way for for you to go from my creation to my child. And so we see that God knows all things that you have thought, that you have felt. Again, which is beautiful and also really scary. So God is, is omniscient. He's all-knowing. But then I want you to go with me to verse 7. Verse 7, it's really interesting what David continues and he says here. He goes, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths or in Sheol, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely, the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is a light to you. So we've seen the omniscience of God and And here, I want you to see the second attribute. It's the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God. And they are very tied together. The all-knowing. And then omnipresence is that God is all-present. So that's what that means. Again, this big theological word meaning all-present. And so God is not just this God who observes all of these things, but it's the God who is present at all of these things. He doesn't just see, but, but he is there. He's just not observing from the outside, but he is right there on the inside as well. And David is really honest. Like, look at verse 7 again. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? Where can I run from your presence? And what David is really explaining here is he's like, man, if I could just run away from God's presence, I think I would try. Man, if I could just run away from the eyes of the Lord, I think I would try. But I just can't. And, you know, I think that as human beings, we're just silly enough. We're just silly enough to sometimes think that we can hide from God, that we can run from God, that we can go away from him, that we can hide in the dark. I think we're silly enough to believe that, but honestly, we can't. We absolutely cannot. And what David is talking about right here is running away from the very thing that he needs. David is talking about running away from the very thing that can change everything in his life, and that's the presence of God. So I want you to think back at the series we were in before that I was talking about being convinced, convinced of the resurrection. And I want you to think about Mary and Martha and the disciples and how they saw the empty tomb. 
I want you to think about Thomas and how he, how he saw Jesus' hands and the holes in his hands. You know, when you think about that, when you see that, it wasn't just the empty tomb that convinced them. It wasn't just the holes in Jesus' hand that convinced them. What truly convinced them was that the risen Lord Jesus Christ was literally standing right in front of them. That they were standing in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And they said, you know what? I've seen the empty tomb and I see your hands, but really it is your presence that convinces me. It is your presence that truly changes everything of who I am. And here David is saying, man, sometimes I just want to run away from that very thing. I want to run away from that very thing that I need, which is the presence of God. And I think that some of us, man, we've tried to do that. We've tried to hide in the darkness. We've tried to run away from his presence. We've tried to run into all of these dark places. And and I think some of us kind of think that, man, if I go into this place, I think God is just going to stand at the door. And he's not going to come with me into this place. Man, he would never step foot here. Or, man, I'm going to come over here, or I'm going to go over there, or I'm going to do this over here at this time at night, and surely God's not going to be there, right, because he goes to sleep. He's over there doing his own thing. No. God is all present, and he is right there. And I think, especially if you're a believer in the room, I think that some of us know that, and we just kind of ignore it. We're just like, eh, I don't really care that much. And what happens is that when problems come our way, we think that the problem is out there and the solution is in here. We think, man, all of these things are happening and, man, it's all over there, but the solution is in me. Like if I just believe enough in myself, man, if I just do enough, if I just work hard enough, it's going to be okay because the problem's out there. And familia, friends, I know that the world is, is crazy. I know that we live in a sinful world. I get it. But majority of the time, because we're sinful, the problem is really inside of us. That, that's where the problem originates. And the only solution to that problem is outside of us. And I don't mean the world. I mean the Lord. He's the only solution to that problem that we have. And as we talk about God being all-knowing and God being all-present, again, that can be a beautiful thing and a scary thing. But this next attribute we're going to look at Man, I hope convinces you of saying, I always need the presence of God. And so I want you to go with me to verse 13. And verse 13 to 18 honestly could stand on, like, on their own. But I'm going to read it and talk a little bit about it. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So we've seen that God is omniscient. We've seen his omnipresence. And now we see his omnibenevolence. 
We see the omnibenevolence of God. Again, it's this kind of big theological word that just really means that God is all loving. That God is all loving. And again, it speaks for itself. And I want to bring back that focus of, you know, God did not mess up. Because in all of this, it talks about God forming us in the mother's womb and knitting us together. And, you know, I really thought about kind of like screen recording a... uh, uh, an animation on YouTube of like how a baby's formed in mother's womb. And then I remembered we live stream all of this and I was like, ooh, I don't want to get like copywritten or anything. So better not do that. But you should go look it up. It's awesome. But when you think about the intentionality of God, of knitting you together in your mother's womb, man, God did not mess up. Like you are here for a purpose. You're here intentionally. And I know that some of us walked in here and maybe we think that we're abandoned, that no one thinks of us, that no one loves us. Maybe we've gone through a time in our life where we have felt that, we have felt unlovable. But man, God is all loving. And he created you and he said, man, I love you and I thought about you. You are not an afterthought. So I don't know if you came in here today thinking, I'm an afterthought, I'm a good for nothing, I have no value. God says something different about that. You're not an afterthought. You are treasured in his eyes, and he did not mess up in giving humanity this kind of freedom in order to love him and for for God to love us. And what's so amazing is that Scripture speaks more about this. Like one of my favorite is Psalm 8 that says that God has crowned us with glory. And then you keep reading, and and Psalm 8 says, man, who are we that God would think of us? Like, who is humanity that he would would just honestly think and and be a part of our life? Like, who are we that God would even do that? And then you look at Psalm 34, which just goes down even deeper and says that God is close to the brokenhearted. Man. So I don't know if you came in here today brokenhearted, but God is close. He is present. He is all-knowing. And he's all loving too. And the reason I say that is because I'm just afraid that some of us have this idea of God where God is like sitting there and he's like watching everything and God is looking at us saying, you know what? If you show me your value, I'll show you my heaven. If you show me your value, I'll show you my heaven. We have this idea of God, but that's actually not the case. What God actually says is he looks at us and he goes, hey, uh, I gave you value. And I want you to experience the joy of being faithful to me. I have given you value. You didn't earn it, I just gave it to you. And I want you to experience the joy of being faithful to me. And I just, I want to encourage someone today because this is, I'll talk to the parents first. If you're a parent, let me just remind you, God loves your kids more than you will ever love your kids. Let me talk to the kids real quick. Kids, I don't know where you're at. God loves your parents more than you will ever love your parents. And then I'll talk to the families in the room. Because trust me, there's parts of our family that are uh, unlovable. God loves your family more than you will ever love your family. God will love your grandparents more than you will ever love your grandparents. God will love your grandkids more than you will ever love your grandkids. 
And let me talk to the church real quick, the big C church. God loves the church more than we will ever love the church. And that is just so beautiful and that's just so comforting to us that God is, is all loving. And, and so I want, you, I want you to go ahead and go to verse 19 with me as we look at the very last attribute together. Verse 19 says this, If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offense, offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. As we look at this, I want to give you the last attribute of God that we see, and it's the omnipotence of God. The omnipotence of God. It's this big theological word again that talks about God being all-powerful. God is all-powerful, and, and David was not perfect at this, but one of the things we see David do a couple of times is saying, God, you're more powerful than me, so here's this. Like, here's my enemies. Here's the situation. Like, I just want to give it to you. Like, God, you are, you're more wise than I am, and, and I just really need you to handle it because you're more powerful, so here you go. And so we see that God is just all-powerful, but we just got done talking about how God is all-loving. And when you talk to people and when I talk to people, it's really interesting because there are some who say, you know, I just don't know if God can truly be all-loving and all-powerful. And I'm like, okay, well, tell me more about that. And they say, well, if God was all-loving, he wouldn't allow pain and suffering. If he truly had all this love, like, he wouldn't allow those things. And then if he was all-powerful, wouldn't he just want to, like, erase all pain and suffering? Like, couldn't he just do that? And so they go, I just don't know if he's both. Well, when we see this passage together, we see that God is both all-loving and all-powerful. And I want to explain a little bit of why that's the case. God did not mess up. God did not mess up. You see, because the ones who brought in sin and pain and suffering into the world was us. We are the ones that brought in pain. We are the ones that brought in suffering. And so what God has had to do, and again, he didn't mess up. It was a perfect plan, is he used pain and suffering to save us. Again, I want to take you back to Jesus. It was the pain and suffering of Jesus and his sacrifice that made a way for us, for us to be restored by him. Because God restores all things. And so he's using this pain and this suffering for the betterment of us. It's the best way. And, and honestly, I've been learning this firsthand in my own life. Because, again, I tore my Achilles a couple months ago playing basketball, and I've had to go through this whole process. And, man, I don't know if you've ever been through physical therapy, but it hurts so much. It's so bad. There's so much pain and so much suffering, and the stretching is the worst. Like, I've never stretched in my life. Now I'm making it stretch like twice a week. Man. And what I've learned is imagine if I completely tore my Achilles, and I did, and imagine that I don't go to physical therapy and I go, I want to avoid pain. I want to avoid suffering. Just let my foot dangle. I'm fine. 
I'm not going to worry about it. Just I'm going to sit here and, and not work it out, not do nothing. If I did that, I would probably not walk. Or maybe I would and it wouldn't be the same. But I can tell you right now, it would not be good. I would not be restored to technically where I was or even better. And what I've learned with my physical therapy as they just hurt me is that restoration cannot happen without pain and suffering. If I truly want to be restored back to where I was or even, even better than what I was, I'm going to have to go through pain and suffering. I'm going to have to really humble myself and be vulnerable and, and be restored in the light and not in the dark in my room because I don't want anyone to touch my foot. And so in the same way, I think that some of us maybe came in today just going like, man, I'm just showing up to church. I'm just here. And you did not expect to encounter the Lord. And maybe you're sitting here today saying, ooh, I've encountered the Lord. I didn't realize I needed his presence, but I do. I didn't realize I was ignoring his presence, but man, Lord, I need your presence. And maybe you came in here with a certain perspective in your mind that God needs to restore because God didn't mess up. And so I know that I'm, I'm broken and maybe you're aware that you're broken and you need God to restore your mind. You need God to restore your eyes. You need God to restore your heart. You need God to restore a relationship. You need God to restore a marriage. You need God to restore a part of your life. And as we see this is that God is the only one who can do that because he is all-knowing, all-present, all-loving, all-powerful. And the last thing we need to do is run away from the very thing that we need, and that's him. And so, so today, and I want to encourage you to run to the Lord, not hide from him. He already knows. And the first step that we can take to be restored in the light, not in the dark, is to have people pray for us and with us. It's vulnerable, it's open, but that is a first step that we can take. So I want us to go ahead and just stand up together. And what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to pray, uh, but as I pray, we're actually going to have our prayer team in the front and in the back. And I just want to encourage you that if today you need restoration, man, let's seek restoration in the light, not in the dark. Let's go to someone and say, man, will you pray with me and for me because I need to be restored. And after I pray, we're going we're gonna to sing a little bit and then we'll be done. So let me pray for us. God, in this moment, we come before you knowing that you are so good. Señor, en este momento venimos ante ti sabiendo que tú eres bueno. You are faithful, you are kind, you are consistent, you're eternal. Señor, tú eres fiel. Eres tan consistente, Señor. Eres maravilloso, inteligente, supernatural, Señor, eterno, maravilloso. God, it's amazing to think of all of who you are. Lord, I pray that our perspective of you would change today. And I pray, Lord, that we would understand that you see us, Lord, as these children of wrath that need to be rescued from the dominion of darkness. But Lord, I pray that we would also see that you love us so much that you are the one who's given us value. 
And God, we want to use all of our life to the one who has given us all of our life. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that just that don't just seek out blessing, your blessing without your authority. That would be the people that, that we seek out your presence, Lord, not just your promises. Lord, I pray that today we would be open and vulnerable and humble, Lord, to seek that restoration that we need from you. Forgive us that, that we have hidden. Forgive us when we have run. But Lord, today we repent and we go before you as the almighty resurrected king. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.